now I'm no longer CEO. Agencies are hard to run. It oh, is thanks, a Paul. brutal Great. business. My <laughs> God, just a nightmare. Just like looking into a chasm that looks back at you and says, I will take your whole soul. It's great. And you're doing great. You're doing great. And just why you guys keep getting paler every day, which is confusing. Hey, Paul, how are you? Oh, boy, my bursitis. No, I'm fine. Thank you. Everything is well. I don't have bursitis. Getting ready for the holidays as we're recording this. I got a sandwich I'm excited about once we're done recording. Kind of a healthy option. So feeling pretty good overall. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm actually in a very centered, peaceful place. Yeah, well, you're not in the office. You know, you're working from home. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's your <laughs> that centered, peaceful it. place. There's another reason I'm in a centered, peaceful place, Paul. Do you know why? You got a really nice curved monitor for flight simulator? Reason number one. <laughs> Reason number two is that we have actually executed on one of the smoothest leadership transitions in the history of business. In the history Very of proud of business. this. Very proud of this. You and I do not run post-flight day-to-day at all anymore for real, right? Most of these transitions, I think it's like, well, who pulls the strings? And I mean, we do, we pull strings, but we do it in a, like every two weeks, we have our string pulling meeting. It's very- A lot uh, of times we pull on a string and realize there's nothing at the other end and you're not actually impacting anything, but you pull anyway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So look, what we're talking about is that the, the company, the president and CEO of the company used to be you and me, and now the president of the company is- Chris Osako and the CEO is Gina Trapani. I'm going to tell you, there's an amazing coincidence. Those two people happen to be on the podcast right now. Chris and Gina, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast that you also are host of. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Hello. I'm realizing that compared to the HBO show, our podcast episode about succession is going to be so boring. There just mm. wasn't a whole lot of drama. I'm realizing like, hmm, this is going to be, we're going to talk about how well this thing went. There wasn't any drama that was public or recorded. I'm sure there was plenty of drama <laughs> as you thought, how will I be taking, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's Rich and I were very confident in our roles. So there's, there's a little of that, but that's for the book later when Postlight is a 10,000 person company. We have our message retention policy in Slack set to 30 days. So who knows? Yeah, that's what right. No. More than 30 days ago, there's no memory of oh, it. Oh, let the DMs go to DM heaven. That is very, very important It's for a wonderful any- thing. Slack retention is a wonderful thing. Can I talk to you for a minute? How many DMs during the transition started with those? That like, <laughs> hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Do you know what, what's in, it's in a lot of mine. A lot of mine, there's no context because they're happening in a meeting where I've just <laughs> gotten completely frustrated. And it just says things like, is he serious? Question yeah, mark. Question mark. Question and mark. I have question no mark. idea which meeting or I'd have to triangulate against the calendar. Two hours later, I come back and just write LOL, right? Like it's just like that. <laughs> Chris and I do the same. And then I start a thread and go, wait, what was this about? Was this about that thing? And you'd be yep. like, yes. So I'd be like, no, no, that other thing. So we have to sort of go back. And, and figure out. I always have to know what exactly he was referring to. There is an element of running a company that is like being a diplomat in France in like the 18th century, where you're just like, well, you know, how is the weather? And that actually means that something really bad is about to happen, right? <laughs> All very subtle cues, especially in client services. Anyway, I want to actually ask a question to Chris and Gina. 
just to recap for everyone listening, in June, this happened in June, almost exactly in the middle of the year. And I've never asked you guys this, so I'll ask you now, live. You know, what was day two like? Like you had the big announcement. I happened to be out of the country at the time, but it was big. It was a big deal. It was a big moment. I mean, it was just said out loud one day. And it, I mean, obviously the planning had been going on for a while. So that happens. What what was day two like? What was actually hour two like when you hung up on that all hands meeting? Well, you know, it's that thing where you, like we had been planning for so long and working toward this thing for so long that the transition moment was a moment to get to. I had to keep reminding I got to interrupt you because Rich and I thought it was going incredibly fast. And later we found <laughs> out that you guys like, that took forever, that whole transition. <laughs> it was super fast for you, super long for us. And for, for me, I was like, oh, I didn't just make it to a finish line. I made it to the starting line. Like that was hour two for me, right? Yeah. And, you know, for me, like the profound responsibility that this role is like it was not lost on me and honestly if i didn't ha- if i didn't have that feeling of the profound responsibility i'd be the wrong person but i could see that you both were managing your own feelings about letting go and handing over a little bit of control and seeing people who you know might do things slightly differently than the way that you would do them and, and the feelings around this. I have had people take over things that I started before in the past. I know what that feeling is like and being aware that those are feelings and wanting to show you like, we've got this, you don't have to worry, but also dealing with my own feelings of like, this is a profound responsibility and I need to do a good job and show up in all these ways and like all your strengths and weaknesses, like it's like a magnifying glass, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like the sun shining through, just burning (laughs) you on the weaknesses, you know? That's what hour two is like for me. Let's make this extra fun, even for people who work at Postlight. I'm gonna tell a story that no one knows about. The transition happened in June. Around April, It was a Friday morning and Paul and I asked for 30 minutes with Chris and Gina and we had a presentation where we laid out the 14 reasons it wasn't time yet and certain things that needed to happen. Oh, I remember this meeting. You remember this meeting. And I, all I saw on Chris and Gina's face was, this is never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... There was a possibility that it wasn't going to happen up until the words came out of your mouth with the all hands. Like I was fully expecting the morning of the all hands for you two to be like, you know what? We thought about it and this isn't the time. <laughs> I think what a lot of it was, by the way, I don't, I think that was the right meeting. I think it was the right pause because I, I realize you, what you realize when you start your own business is that you don't say a lot of things out loud. You just do stuff. There's not a lot of documentation. There's not a lot of protocol. There's not a lot of anything. Especially early days, right? Like, I mean, it just, Postlight was a very, very different company every single year, those first like four years. Those bullets were listed in my head, reflecting on the ceiling as I looked up from my pillow because they were things that I had never articulated. They weren't, it wasn't a move to stall the transition. It wasn't actually the transition itself. It was, it happened to be a lot of change. Two partners, two like founding partners had departed. There were some vacuums here and there. It was a lot, right? And it was like, hold on, we got to check about seven more boxes here is what, what ended up happening. Tell us about you guys coming into that meeting and then coming out of it. That I mean, it had to feel good. No, because at that point, just for background, like we had really talked very openly about this. We were getting a transition plan in place and Rich sat down. He, we, You and I workshopped this before, before it came through. And, you know, I was like, look, my take on this whole thing, I had a funny role in all of this before you guys answer this question, which was 
I will not facilitate any communication between all these parties. I wanted the transition to happen, but it had to happen on its own terms. There could be no coaching. People had to talk about where they were at and if where they were at was the reality of the transition. If Rich wasn't ready to go, if I wasn't ready to go, if you weren't ready to go, then it wasn't going to happen because that's all this is. It's human beings saying, I'm ready to let go and another person saying, I'm ready to stand up. So Rich was like, I have to do this. And I was like, then you have to do it. Let's do it and talk it through. You came in thinking like, okay, we're moving forward tentatively step by step. How did you feel that day? The thing that you, Rich and Paul, have been so good about the whole time that we've worked together is that you center rationale for the things we do at the company around what's good for the business. It was not about my personal feelings, my personal feelings about delaying the transition were inconsequential. It didn't matter. Like what mattered was the company and the team and the stability of the business. So I tell you the honest truth. I don't really, I don't remember this, this particular meeting specifically. I feel like a lot of meetings, you know, up to the transition where there were all the reasons, all the things that we had to, you know, all the boxes we had to check before we actually did it. So I don't actually remember this particular meeting, but but, you know, there's like my personal feelings in the moment, like, oh, this is taking so long. I just want to get to I want to do this thing. And then there's like, but wait, there's some really good points here. We do need to address these issues in the business. Right. Because and that's something that, you know, is this good for Postlight? What's best for Postlight? That's something that I think you've really, you know, imbued in me and Chris. Totally. We say that to another a lot. Going through a leadership transition, it's very fascinating because there's like the Rich and Paul way of doing things that has worked really well for Postlight for five and a half years, six years. And then there's like the Gina and Chris way of doing things. And there's a good amount of overlap. That Venn diagram, there's a lot in the middle of the Venn diagram, but there are things mm-hmm. that are different. And I think one of the negotiations, so to speak, that we were doing as we led up to the transition, and frankly, even a little bit after the transition, is how do we let go of some of the things where we differ and the Chris and Gina way is going to be a little bit different. You know, marketing comes to mind. We had a new marketing leader coming in right as this transition was happening. And there were a lot of thoughts that you guys had about what should be happening. And then there was a slightly different way that Gina and I wanted to approach it. And so we had to like work through that together. And we're tech and product people, right? We craft the interface. So actually what happened was a set of interfaces emerged so that like Gina Crisco and Paul Richco could exchange information. It's not like utterly dispassionate. It's still the same company and the same conversations. It's just like us going, hey, we need this. And you going, okay, let me provide that. And sort of vice versa as well. That's what emerged after the transition, right? You you couldn't really do that before. Some things got more formal, but it was, I think, good. Like, you know, we we buttoned up a lot of things. Formal scalable. It is. And it's funny, Chris and I have really taken that some of that formality to our senior leadership team. You know, like we're not a 30 person company where you can sort of casually make a a decision that has a big impact on the group. You know, like just in a conversation, we ask people like, can you put together a proposal? Can you walk us walk us through it? And I think that that's that's a good thing. I mean, for the first five years, I love to communicate through memo and writing. And one of the great tragedies of my role as CEO is that in a small organization, Everyone is functionally illiterate. Doesn't matter if they have 25, you know, PhDs in English. They just, no one seems to be capable of reading anything longer than a paragraph and acting on it in a Slack message in a small org. As things scale up, 
documents become, and presentations become more and more important. And, and that, that has really evolved. In the, now this is an org that communicate. We have a mega deck that is a template for how we communicate internally and externally. And I have seen Google Docs with plans on them that I think people are reading and acting on. Like it's, it's very, very different. Because it used to be to get effect change at, at Postlight, you had to simply, you sat down and you talked to people and you talked to them enough that they then would enact that change. And it was a really funny, it was like almost like society forming. It was very uh, interesting to see. One of the ways that I sort of processed the change was coming to understand, I find comfort in control. The way no, I see- No, no, are you kidding? That's so surprising. I'm shocked. I mean, oh. we worked together for so long and I just didn't know. This beautifully illustrates the, the comfortable rapport between the four of us. It just <laughs> 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 no, we do joke about it. Like we have metaphors for I always refer to it as bone in mouth, like just a dog. <laughs> and dog, and dog like just. Also very flattering. Most of the time, and you guys know this is happening because we'll meet and then Paul and I will talk about how you're managing the company. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful, right? It's a great feeling. 80% of the time, you got it right. Saying that out loud, not flattering you, I wouldn't have done it much differently. Is that like a B plus? It's a C plus. Three percent of the time, you get it wrong. Do you know what the other seventeen percent is, Gina? So eighty is right, three is wrong. There's seventeen left. You know what the seventeen is? I, the I don't know, but I hope it's good. <laughs> the seventeen starts like this. Why would they not do that? And yeah. what that speaks to... Boy, you just described 80% of my Slack messages from you. <laughs> well, no, but what that speaks to is my own issues with how I process change and how I would go and do things. It's such a preposterous question. To ask why you wouldn't change the color scheme to mint green without ever talking to you and never assuming you should do it ever is insane. It's fully, entirely insane. God bless Paul Ford. Because for whatever reason, he tends to just fan the flames of me asking why you didn't do something. I don't know if he does it to make me feel, to calm down. Sometimes he just responds with, it's no, no, Saturday. No, no. Fan, fan the flames. I tend to put water on the flames. Not fan, Fanning the flames makes them larger. It's a dialogue. Sometimes they pierce through. Sometimes we, I, and we have done it, and we've tried to be reserved. We come back to you and say, we think you need to do more of this, or yeah. you know, we think you should think about that differently. Let me actually explain what, what happens there, right? Because it, it's, you and I are friends. Our children play together, and I think we will be friends for a very long time in our life. We have that dynamic, and that's a big part of our interaction. But there is another element where we, because we're professionals together, we kind of assign each other work. But you can't really do that as peers. That's really tricky. I trust your paranoia very much, and I learned to trust it the hard way because I came in like, oh, you know, we're going to build a company based on puppies and hugs. And you're like, no. And but at, over time, I realized that there is actually room for probably more puppies and hugs than you might have expected. But at the same time, your paranoid instincts as an operator sure were validated by events way more times around things like contracts, proposals, execution, all these sort of aspects of running a business, especially as we got bigger, that are just kind of just grisly. You were in there and you'd be like, I'm blah, 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 and you get all upset. And I'd be like, oh, what's he talking about now? And then like six weeks later, and I know that Gina and Chris have had this experience. It's very frustrating when somebody's right, but your paranoia is very, very valuable. 
So I feel that my job as your business partner is to not suppress that instinct, but just like listen to it thoroughly, not internalize it, not let my own anxiety go up, but then think about like, okay, what is this telling us? And how can I go back to Rich and how can I go to other people and kind of get people to act and see this without maybe the sense of urgency and panic that it might have come across in the initial communication. And I actually like... This is now a healthy dynamic in my life. I think that this is a really good use of you in an organization. You mean between you and I? Yes, and also just like it's good for postlight. Well, is it? I mean, that's what I want to ask Chris. It's and, not good and, if, and if it's directly coming from you and fanning out to the organization. I think it's okay if it's coming to me and then we filter it together. Gina and Chris, I mean, answer separately. I mean, a lot of this is about instinct. I can't write you a three pager that hands over a set of instincts that if you just read it, you have the instincts. Talk to us about that intangible and how you think about it. Because instincts drive decision-making, right? Decision-making doesn't just happen because there's an owner's manual, because this is a wild business. The agency business, for those that are not in the agency business listening to this podcast, it's a wild business, right? So there's no manual. How do you cultivate those instincts? How do you start to listen to them? How do you act on them? I mean, let's say... The important thing, which is that you develop instincts through years of experience. So from a sheer number of years of experience that you, Rich, have been in the agency business than I've been in the agency business, there's just a big delta there, right? And with experience, you develop judgment, you develop history, you develop scars, and you're like, I'm never going to cut myself there again. That happens over time, and it isn't something you can communicate with a three-page memo. So, I mean, Chris and I will always take you and Paul's thoughts and feedback and suggestions with like full open hearts because you have, you put in the years. I mean, you started this thing, right? You put in years that in a position that we didn't, you know, by the time it gets to us, apparently it's filtered through Paul. You know, you well, if you send us five bullet points, <laughs> it's human to be like, oh, okay, great. Like we're, you know, <laughs> we have to now deal with this feedback. Yeah. But then we usually we go through it. We take two and say, they didn't have context. This doesn't matter. But these three mm -hmm. are really good points. And Chris and I said that to each other a bunch of times. It's annoying that Rich is so right so often. Like he's right about this. And it's annoying that he's right about this and that we didn't catch it, but we should take this feedback and act on it. And we do. We're actually saying something without saying the actual words. So let's say the actual words. You don't report to us. We don't have directives. You have goals, high level, high altitude goals. But Paul and I meet with you once a week. It's semi-structured, catching up on some key things. But you don't report to us. We don't assign you work. You don't have directives that you have to go execute on. In fact, you started to build a very particular muscle that took me years to build, which is you sort of nod at some some requests that aren't actual requests that sound like suggestions, but are meant to be pushier than suggestions. And you hope we forget about them. And sometimes we do. And that's a very powerful thing. You also increasingly, they know what's coming. I've seen some definite swoop ins like mid meetings where they're like, great, Rich, we'll talk about that with you later. And it's just, yeah, <laughs> they know this is this is all with a wink. But look, yeah. managing that and understanding and appreciate this melts down if we don't give the leadership that autonomy and there isn't a dynamic where we can talk to each other. But it's clear that ownership is what it is like, you know, people at Postlight don't know this. out. They don't know. Nobody knows the actual power dynamics. We've got 120 plus people at Postlight. There's probably 120 different perspectives on how the working relationship is, right? But I think as time goes by, it's becoming clearer and clearer that you guys have taken the wheel. And I think you guys wanted that. I think you wanted the wheel. Yeah. 
So here's a really hard question for each of you. Give us an example of something like, man, as soon as I get the wheel, I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to change that. I'm going to bring an end to that bullshit. <laughs> oh, That's Gina's got a, Gina's opening up. Yeah. I, I actually, I want to hand this to Chris because in our first like week, Chris and I, we meet, our meetings are very casual. They're conversations where we do a lot people, of async. So we have a constant... We do a lot of async. We have a constantly running agenda where we write to one another versus meet. But he shows up in a meeting with me and he says, there's something that I want to talk you through and I have a deck. So now this is unusual. You make decks <laughs> you present a deck for to me, each okay? other. But for, yeah. So he's presenting just to me a deck. And, the, and so he brings up this deck. The first slide is a, is a photo of his degree in theater. He says, I want to caveat this whole presentation with, with this. I have a theater degree. And I said, yes, I, I know this about you. I have an English degree, just so everyone knows, in creative writing. And I said, okay, Chris. And now I'm like, what's about to come? And then Chris, I want I want you to talk through. It was like all of your frustrations with the way that things worked at Postlight, like here's how we're gonna fix them. <laughs> Can you please share this deck no. with us? Please. <laughs> no. <laughs> we're never seeing that deck, Rich. I don't wanna see the deck. It's important to preface. No, I tell you, I'd be fine with the deck, but like it would just be like my Slack would be screenshots of the deck for, for like four straight weeks. I don't have it in me. Look, there were bits about operationally how we were running this business that I wanted to clean up. We wanted to clean up. And it's so funny because, you know, the things that make you good are also like your biggest blind spots. And I can't help but want things to run really efficiently, like down to the cell in the spreadsheet, right? How are we collecting every dollar within the 15 or 30 when days? When it's time to procure software, people should should talk to Chris. I mean, this is the thing. I want our tools to be great. We are software people. Like the whole reason that we do what we do is to make our software better. This could have been anything. I didn't know where this was going. I could have been like, God, I, like our marketing or our logo or, or our culture, like you honed in on a very particular aspect of the business. Is that the thing that sort of zoomed to the top of your list in your mind or, or I don't know that it zoomed to the top of my list. It was just like, okay, let's, let's just do this already. Like let's rip this bandaid rather than be complaining about these things. You know, it's, and it's not just like me and Gina, it's like, you know, the rest of the company, it, things filter up to the top. And it's like, no, we need to make sure. Tools and how we worked. And We and were about to hit 100 employees. And the way that we worked and the tools that we used to work were not serving us. So that was a huge risk to the business. I, I mean, it, naturally at the top of Chris's list, once he presented to me, I was like, yes, we should do this. I knew he was driving it. I mean, you know, I was thinking about marketing and brand and culture. Culture is always at the yes. top of my list, right? Because it's so important just for our team team and for our clients and all that. And Strat, I mean, Strat was, you know, obviously both of us. at the top yeah. of the list because we were transitioning a new head of digital strategy because we came out of those roles. Tie that to the theater degree <laughs> on the first slide. I'm trying to piece it together. My point was like, I'm not some business savant who knows exactly what we should <laughs> be doing. I just care about great software and making the experience great for all of our employees. And so how do we 
You're just saying, look, this is just my judgment call. This is not an MBA. Exactly. I, I got it. Okay, Gina, your turn. I mean, uh, digital strategy, the digital strategy group. This is less like, let me change the thing that Rich and Paul had. But as a result of this transition, we were building out our strat group. We were building out our strat group anyway. Gina, take a minute. Tell everyone, like, digital strategy is a hell of a term. What does digital strategy mean at Postlight? And what were you attacking? Digital strategy is a cornerstone of our business, right? Like we've repositioned ourselves in the market. And we, you know, this happened a while ago as a strategic partner to our clients, as a, a partner who can say, can not only kind of fulfill your order, but to say, what issues does your business have? What problems are you facing? What goals are you going after? Okay, digital is gonna be a huge part of that because it's 2021. And here's how digital should be a part of that, right? So giving that guidance, giving that advice, you know, really internalizing business problems. So the digital strategy group talks to prospects, monitors active engagements with our current clients, the health of that relationship, the health of the deliverables, the quality of the deliverables, if there are other you know, new opportunities for us to, to partner in new and different ways. Yep. And also uh, they're in charge of you know, essentially the, the Postlight brand, the way that we speak to the world at large, not just our prospects and, and current engagements. So, so it's a huge amount of responsibility. They're the front line of you know, the services that, that we provide. And we have a fantastic new head of digital strategy and Michael Shane, he, he actually did a great, episode of this podcast talking about what a, what a strategist is and what strat is you know he's building out his team it was a new it was a kind of a, a i wouldn't say a baby group i'd say like a toddler yeah. to middle schooler kind of group and now i'd say they're kind of in high school so you felt that we got to beef up this group there we need more firepower in that group is that like top of mind when you're coming in not just more firepower but part of it was like understand like you and paul were strat for so many years and like there was so much happening in your yeah. brains and between the two of you that no one else was exposed to, right? You brought us in and then you were externalizing to us and we were running Strat. And now we had to do that with Michael and his team, right? And that, that not just knowledge transfer, but also just like there was an evolution that had to happen at 100 plus employees that didn't have to happen when we were 30 or 40 employees and making sure that we were not just being reactive, that we're being proactive. This is a work in progress, right? And Chris and I are still really in, involved there. Again, this was like part of the, the, the letting go and empowering our other leaders inside the org yeah. to do the things that were really inside both of your brains for so long. I mean, I think another change that we made looking back is talking more about the vision and the mandates for the company as opposed to the tactics, like what we're doing. And we probably didn't have to do it when we were 35 people, but as we've yeah. crossed 100, it's like, we need to chart the path here. Where are we going? And that's really hard for an agency, actually, because it's not, there is no central product that is our mission. Paul, for a long time, you said craft is our mission. And I think that's still a big part of our story. But the vision statement that Gina and I crafted is really around our clients. We want to impact lasting change for our clients. And we want every single person at the company to internalize that, like, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And our mandate is to grow around that vision. I want to shift gears a bit and talk about how, like, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, Paul and I, this was ultimately Paul and my call. I mean, let's let's say it out loud. We don't have a board. There's, there's other partners, but this was a decision that Paul and I made together. One of the reasons we felt good about making it was how you work together. The two of you work together. Obviously, we're outside looking in, but the dynamic is remarkably smooth, almost scary smooth. You ever see, like, you know, that marriage where everything is too perfect, 
and everyone is too nice, which means it's about to burst into flames any minute. But it's your paranoia, I don't think that's Rich. The, yeah, it's my paranoia again. But I guess talk about that. Like, how did you guys sit down and say, all right, I, I'll take this side of the house. You take that side of the house and that working dynamic. Now, we just learned today that you guys make PowerPoints for each other, which is sweet and cute. But <laughs> Talk about the dynamic and throw us a morsel. I mean, there must have been a an ugly. Do you ever have a meeting where you're like, you know what, I'm done, and you hang up? Did that happen yet? <laughs> Not yet. No, I've hung up on Paul like sixty times. Not yet. Come on, guys. We should tell the company and and the world that you are joking there. Like it is the same. I don't. I think I've had. No, we've had like four like showstopper conversations in. Five or six years. Which, by the way, in the world of partnerships, and that could be two brothers owning a bodega, is the exception. I mean, it really is the exception. One of the jokes I make, but it's also serious, is if you and I had done this earlier in life, if we'd done this in our early 30s, it wouldn't have worked. Like, there's a point where you get a little older and you're like, I need people who can do those things. I can't do those myself. And if I try, it's not as good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you might be right there. There's an element of that. Like, it just, that's a part of adulthood that really works. Frame it as advice. I mean, a lot of people struggle in partnerships. What makes it work? I feel like the things that are coming to mind are like very cliche, but like mutual respect. Like, you have to look at the person on the other side of the table and feel like, yes, they are smart and good and making the right calls, making the calls that you would make. Like Gina and I agree on like 97% of the things that we would do, you know, individually. And then the 3% that we disagree about, I feel like we're very quick to either come to resolution or, or be like, this isn't, what I think we should do, but I'm going to go with it. It's always surprising. We're always like surprised when there's a disagreement. It's funny, you know, Chris and I worked together at Postlight for years. I reported to you at one point, Chris, I think in the very beginning when I first joined, I, th- I remember you giving me a performance review at some point, like very early, like 2016. Huh. But then we were, we were in kind of different parts of the company. We didn't, inter- like our, our work streams didn't require us to interact a lot. And then we started working on the MTA project together. And that's, when I really, really started to like see into Chris's, the way that he thinks about product, the way that he handles tricky client conversations, the way that he pushes forward platforms. And I just like this, just a a tremendous amount of respect and admiration grew there. Chris doesn't get hot under the collar or react in an emotional way in meetings or something I I struggle with. (laughs) So I've learned a lot from him that way. And I've been in a lot of business partnerships throughout my career, different kinds of business partnerships. And this one is very, very, very healthy and positive. I, I think that we're very upfront with one another. At one point, we had a conversation where Chris said to me recently, I don't know, maybe it was a couple months ago or a few weeks ago, he said to me, you know, I feel really accountable to you. And I, I feel the same way. I feel very accountable to Chris, like as as his partner. And so it's it's very healthy. I mean, I'm sure that we're going to have a blowout at some point. I don't know. It, but it, has, it hasn't happened. Why not? That was pretty, a joke before. <laughs> Start the countdown. But this bit about working together, that is real. Like, I think Gina and I both really care about the work. And so getting to work with the MTA, MTA was an amazing project, yeah. great client. But, you know, you're on the front line. You're in the trenches together. So you're seeing how do you motivate a team. I was watching Gina, like, build relationships with our client stakeholders and seeing firsthand, like, oh, she's exceptional at this. And she knows how to position this team and, and frankly, this company in like a really amazing way as we think about, you know, what's ahead in the context of the NTA, it was for 
Mercury, this project that we were working on, but it was like almost a direct line to, okay, as we took over digital strategy, like how do we think about, you know, positioning Postlight in the same way? So doing the work together and finding your, you know, your vibes through that, that's a great I mean, it was, a, it was, it was a key driver. I mean, when Paul and I would talk and, you know, and it was, wasn't a trivial decision. It took a, over a year of a lot of consideration. The dynamic on that project and the way you guys work together was, was definitely in a lot of the conversation. Paul, you were going to ask. Well, I mean, here we are talking about what happened and how it works. Like, now is a chance. Like, what do you see coming? You're working together. You're about to get into your second six months. You're going to be headed towards a year. Like, what what's going to happen in your relationship and in how you're running Postlight? You're kind of you're you truly are settled in the job. Like, I, I mean, it really is a our parts of managing and mentoring and, and leading feel increasingly done. Feels like you've just you've got the reins. So what now? How are you going to scale this thing? What are you going to do? I, I feel like we we spent our first you know, half of the year, the first six months, really like navigating the team through this change and turning inward and making sure that we were efficient and that we had good processes and good, good tools. And we established our senior leadership team. For me, uh, you know, 2022 is turning outward and spending more time with our clients and writing more and getting out there and speaking more and being on the podcast more. Like we have an extraordinary group of leaders in our senior leadership team who work with us and they've all found their footing and they're they've understood how this you know our working dynamic and how this how this goes and so i'm really like looking forward to that i'm looking forward to building relationships and representing the company externally yeah we also have to continue to invest in with scaling comes the challenges like onboarding and making projects run efficiently we have this framework called core, which we've talked about on the podcast before, there's like a new evolution of core that is ahead of us, which is how do we customize the framework to meet the stage of the project that we're in, right? We're taking on newer, different kinds of work. Some of our work is purely strategy now, which is like, hey, we have this big challenge in front of us. Tell us what to do with it as opposed to build us a platform. Or maybe it's like one step before build us a platform. And we're really leaning into that. And that means that checking in on that kind of work looks a little bit different. In the same way, when we're working on, you know, we're taking on more and more long-term maintenance projects where we are supporting platforms that have been in the wild for two, five, 10 years. And that's interesting and exciting, but it's a different kind of challenge. So how do we orient and build teams that are really motivated by that. And likewise, how do we check in on them and what are the success metrics around them? The altitude at which you're operating, right? Like that's that's the big change is that you no longer can do these things directly yourself. Up until you took this role, you were able to do things. You could write a document, send an email, ask, sit down with somebody, tell somebody something. And now it's like this art of suggestion and broad strategic goals and seeing how people report back. I mean, that's great. That's wonderful. It's complicated, though. That's I missed so much in the role of CEO. I really missed being able to make and do things. It's so much faster. The first six six weeks, Chris and I kept being like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then the other one would say to one another, who should be doing this thing? Should you be doing this thing? And it was this horrible moment where you're like, you're right. Like, guys, I shouldn't be doing this thing. Now I have to. And then you just, you give it to somebody else. And then you're just like, I hope that goes well. (laughs) And then it does. So I want to close it with a question for the both of you. Is Postlight hiring? We are so hiring. Full, full steam ahead. <laughs> so, hiring. so hiring. Postlight.com slash careers. You should go there in your web browser right now. Postlight.com slash careers.
I'm going. I'm going to the website. I see, it says, yes, we're hiring. Great product managers, great product designers, incredible engineers. We want them all. Content strategist contract. We're looking for directors of engineering. We're looking for lead designers. Boy, we're, this place is growing. What an exciting firm. You know, it's funny. We've talked to some people who applied and got hired and then said to us after the fact, I'm kind of amazed because I never thought that I would make it at a place like Postlight. <laughs> and so it's worth saying to people, we do want all experience levels and we want this to be a place where people can grow their careers. And so if you're a little more junior or a little earlier in your career, don't let that mean that you can't reach out because we want to talk to you and we'll figure out how to support you and uh, and bring you to that next level along with us. That's right. You should yeah, apply. If you have a bias towards just getting stuff done, we can work with the rest of it. Guys, I want to end this with a compliment. You guys have been, I mean, it's exceeded what Paul and I expected in terms of steadying the ship, providing a place that cares about people growing their careers, and just taking it to a mature level. And that's so necessary. We're 120 and counting now. You guys have done a great job. Honestly, you both get credit for making a great decision. There you go. And <laughs> this has been a blast. And I, I, I just you put in a tremendous amount of trust in both of us. And it means so much to us. And even if my face falls in a meeting because you're te- you're giving me feedback, uh, we always welcome your oh, advice. I mean, your, your advice and counsel has been key and will continue to just be Just so. like we welcome feedback to hello at postlight.com. Exactly. <laughs> Send us a note, hello at postlight.com. Well, I'm excited to see what happens in 2022 to all our wonderful listeners you're going to hear more of chris gina and others at postlight on this podcast next year have a wonderful safe holiday and uh see you on the other side happy holidays everyone happy holidays hello at postlight.com also happy holidays <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>